Hello, and welcome to another Echo Punks episode. Sometimes a salon, sometimes a podcast. Today, a conversation about sponsorship. Sponsorship being the idea that if you spend money, you can put your name on something and benefit from the credibility, the spectacle, the entertainment value, the uh, uh, intelligence, the research, you name it. I mean, in our world, I can't think of pretty much anything that is beyond sponsorship. So with that said, I'm joined today, of course, by Jan Lemke, my regular, and Chris Irwin, who is another echo punk, who I'm glad you could join us for this call. Because for me, one of the real inspirations for having this conversation was uh, Saudi Arabia's aggressive sponsorship of sporting events, uh, but golf in particular. And uh, the Saudi Arabia Sovereign Fund has basically put the entire professional golf world in a state of chaos because they're attempting to buy it, to basically control it. And that has caused uh, a bit of an existential crisis, which we can get into. But Jan, you were also someone who was interested in talking about this subject. So I'm, I'm curious to hear what, what you want to get into today and what you think is relevant when it comes to thinking about sponsorship. Yeah, I uh, thank you very much, uh, first of all. And hi, Chris. Nice to see you again here. Um, you know, obviously, uh, you know, we've all uh, seen and heard a lot in the news over the last couple of months and, and years, I want to say, starting with the uh, Football World Cup uh, in Qatar, which was uh, quite the media spectacle uh, and not only in a good way, right? Then um, uh, uh, after the World Cup, really, really well-earned soccer players started to really flock from Europe to Saudi Arabia. Uh, earning incredible amounts of money. Uh, then the golf thing happened. And then over a couple of days ago, a friend of mine who is into boxing and mixed martial arts told me about a tournament that apparently also happened over there uh, where an obscene amount of former heavyweight champions just posed for photo ops uh, and were awarded $10 million, $20 million just for being there and showing up. And... Um, you know, obviously, this looks really, really disgusting, right? Money can buy everything. And athletes, what are you thinking, uh, right? You let, you know, the Saudis buy your souls. But then I thought, hey, wait a minute, you know, uh, if the book, The History of Ethics in Sports doesn't exist yet, it might be an interesting book to be written because, um, you know, it is really, really difficult when you look at sports and, and you look 40 years, 50 years back. Um, you know, I have problems pointing fingers here. Uh, who is bad and who is worse, right? Sponsor or sponsee. And, and that, I think, is an interesting kind of balance of responsibility, right? Who, who, who is implicated? To your point of, you know, these uh, uh, former athletes selling their soul, versus the other attitude is they're getting paid and they're cashing in, right? Who is responsible, the sponsor or the sponsoree? Now, Chris, I'm glad that you've joined us. So I'm gonna give you the same opportunity to kind of set the agenda as it were. Uh, uh, what attracted you to this uh, uh, subject? And why don't you carry the conversation a little further in terms of 
what is the responsibilities of the sponsor or the sponsoree? Is there an ecosystem of responsibility when it comes to the way sponsorship now permeates, not just sports, but so much of our culture and our society? Well, Jesse, it was you that attracted me here just to get that out of the way. So <clears throat> uh, now I find the topic absolutely fascinating. And I thank you for bringing in the golf reference. There's a, I think you get into these, they call them non-traditional business models where you don't, <clears throat> there's not a transactional component to your service, right? Any not-for-profit sports is this area. And you so you have to have, you have to get some funding to provide the service. Like that's a, just a fundamental model. And I think that there's been, the sponsorship takes the, takes the um, angle of people lending credibility to the cause, right? Um, and also sort of obviously lending money to the cause. And one of the things, yeah, when you're talking about the, the history of sports ethics, <clears throat> when I was a kid, the, um, the backbone of women's professional golf was big tobacco. And the Canadian, the Women's Canadian Open was the De Maurier Classic, and it was a major. And then that is, not 50 years ago, but we've come around to, if you're taking money from big tobacco, whoa, hold on a second. And I think that's, so if you fast forward a couple of decades, I don't know, like will money from, is it oil and gas? Is it different areas? Like, I'm not sure where these things sort of run out in terms of their credibility getting so low that it's almost an embarrassment or, or it is an embarrassment to take the sponsorship. So then that, that support can't be above board it has to be in ways that aren't going to garner attention, which is much harder to do in this day and age in terms of, and I think that sometimes <clears throat> the sources of support and sponsorship become scandalous. Like, can you believe? So it's quite, all this, I think that's covered a whole lot of ground. Um, yeah. But I'll just, I can, I can pause there and you can sort of, if there's any I think there that's interesting. Before you chime back in, Jesse, <clears throat> I think Chris, you raised a really, really important point there. Uh, which is what I would like to call <clears throat> the fluidity of expectations, right? You basically uh, said, hey, you know, what are you thinking? How can you take money of, you know, of, from big tobacco? How dare you, right? On the other hand, once uh, someone like LeBron speaks up, it's uh, shut up and dribble, right? Or Colin Kaepernick takes a kneel and, uh, you know, he loses his contract and is the outcast. So put yourself into the shoes of a 21, 22-year-old athlete uh, who is told by their manager, you have to be on social media at all times. What are you even supposed to do? What are you allowed to do? What are you not allowed to do? Right? I find, I find this is a really, really important point, Chris, that you, that you make there. Um, on the one hand, how dare you? On the other, you know, how dare you not? Well, and it also evokes a kind of uh, ecosystem of reputation that we assume that sponsorships are always positive, that they, you know, a transfer a kind of social capital or transfer a kind of currency, especially when you're sponsoring, a, you know, a, a champion athlete or a, a musical uh, venue. But at the same time, it creates a vulnerability, which I think you're both evoking that it's both the vulnerability of making you vulnerable to protest. I mean, I think of South Africa and the great boycotts against the South African apartheid regime that, you know, meant that sponsorship all of a sudden became a, a vector for attack, right? A, a vector for vulnerability. And Jan, your point about kind of athletes using their star power for politics, it is a hypocrisy. 
like on the one hand we reward stars for promoting the saudi arabian regime or we reward stars for selling laundry soap but when those same stars stand up for human rights or when those same stars stand up for justice somehow that's wrong because and, and this time they're not getting paid and do this out of conviction how dare you or or right? i think it would be even worse if they were getting paid like yeah, if, right. if, if black lives matter was all of a sudden sponsoring colin kaepernick that would have been even worse in the eyes yeah. of the nfl but here's you know the, the last thing i'll, I'll say is What's interesting now is what's happening in the NHL, that the NHL has taken a really, uh, a for, for lack of a word, I'm going to say retro, like it almost seems like they're retreating. They're restricting how teams and players can customize jerseys. And the most recent controversy was uh, a goaltender who wanted to wear an indigenous a goalie mask in honor of National Indigenous Day recently. And the NHL said no, because it was against their policy of having, you know, any politicized or any commercialized, because it goes both ways, kind of displays outside of the norm. And that has become a controversy unto itself. So it, I, I think what, where we've kind of gotten this to quite quickly around trust and reputation is the substance of sponsorship. And it's interesting how I think that this is relatively new that we're talking about it in this way versus I think for decades, it, it has always been a given that sponsorship was good versus now we're starting to recognize that it is uh, fluid, uh, as you guys mentioned. No, because I think, to, and, and, and Chris, I'll let you speak to this uh, in a second. I think for decades, uh, sponsorship uh, was planned and executed as thoroughly as uh, Chris alluded uh, to it, right? I think for for decades there were basically people who who, who did this for a living, who looked at metrics and uh, created something uh, that was called a brand uh, and athlete fit, right? To make sure that uh, the two complement each other. Um, to be honest, Chris, I don't know whether these models, which I was a big fan of, because they uh, give you something to work with whether they are still valid. Uh, and, and the reason why I wonder whether they are still valid is the, the speed and how incredibly fast-lived our uh, society is these days. Anything that's, um, I, one thing that may have changed <clears throat> over time is the, uh, the sort of the size of the brand of the person. And I think that I, this, so this is the, um, there was Last Dance is a documentary on, on Netflix that was out a couple of years ago. It talks about Michael Jordan. And Michael Jordan was a massive personality, bigger than we're used to. And you sort of, I think as these brands and sports is a great, it's a great area for this because it does rely traditionally on massive sponsorship and there's all sorts of stuff going on, going on there. But you get like a Colin Kaepernick, for example, you're no longer a quarterback, you're a human being and you have political views and what was what i thought was quite interesting and i'm not going to make this all about golf but tiger woods's scandals of extramarital affairs and everything when that came out i think it wasn't necessarily the scandalousness of the behavior it was just that it was so so different from the brand so the tiger woods who's sponsoring nike and deloitte and he had all sorts of and i heard someone say like hey like 
John Daly drinks on the golf course and gambles. And that's sort of part of his brand. <laughs> and that's okay. And he has sponsorships, but you're sort of limited because there's a sort of a flawed human being there. But I think in some of these sponsorships, you get people who are, maybe they're held to a, to a high standard, or it's just, you can't, you can't be a brand without being a person with preferences, with political orientations, with opinions. So I think that but, there's an attempt to kind of, I don't know. I think it's just, I think, I think it, the dynamic's different. Go ahead, Jesse. I think you're hitting it on the nose. I think it depends on the brand. And I think what, what we ask of brands is what we ask of any story, what we ask of any entertainment, and that's coherence. Right. When the brand becomes incoherent, all of a sudden you're going to tune out. And, and what happened with Tiger Woods was fraud. Right. His brand previous to that moment was fraudulent. Right. He was selling an image. He was selling an identity which was false. And what happened was that house of cards fell apart. It cost him. He could have been a trillionaire. It right. Did he cost him Nike? No, but here's the thing. He could have been a trillionaire. <laughs> Like, like, and here's, let, 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 let me just reiterate something, because I think golf is going to dominate this episode. And I think for good reason. Golf sponsorship is the epitome of power, politics, and money, right? Like golf, unlike almost any other sports, Formula One is kind of on the same scale, right? As is World Cup. But golf is something that happens every week and it targets the wealthy and it targets the ruling elite. And, and this is where I'll say Tiger Woods did blow it. He's still a billionaire, but he could have been the world's first trillionaire. That was the empire that was being built up around him and it fell apart versus John Daly is John Daly, right? And people like it for who he is. But I think to go back to Jan's point about the ethics of sport, that is the ultimate paradox here, because on the one hand, people love sports and they follow sports precisely because there's rules and there is an out of bounds. It is the only part of life in which there are rules and out of bounds. Everything else in life, it's kind of shit just gets made up, even the court of law. But sports is the only temple in which rules and out-of-bounds exist, which is why it is such a paradox that the sponsorship of sports is so unethical. And but then so there is sports rules. betting, which gets the bad guys in again, right, to break all the rules and bring the dirt back into the ecosystem, so to say. Which is happening, it's flourishing right now. Like the right. impact of gambling on sports, the impact of gambling on sports media is so huge right now because of the sponsorship by casinos and, and, and bookies. To your point, Jan, it threatens the purity of the game in terms of the belief that the rules and fair. You've been trying to jump in, Chris, please. Well, I think, and even just, just if you're to sustain the model, like the broadcast media area of okay, we want we want to have we want to pay quality people to provide insight and have these high quality broadcasts. You need the advertising revenue, right? And right now, a lot of that is coming from legalized betting. Yeah. And you're sort of like, well, we don't we don't sure we don't like it, and we see the problems with it, but we really need the money to do this. And I just on your. Um, you had, your, you had your three P's of golf. Was it power? Power, politics, 
I forget what the third one was. It, Power, it, politics. I don't think it was privilege, but I was going to add privilege into that. Sure, sure. <laughs> and Formula One is probably is probably the same way, but I think this is where you get back to sort of the the sponsorship area. You are um, your brand is influenced by the brands you attach yourself to, right? Like that. So we're seeing we're seeing that more. And are you willing to take it on the chin for a less than stellar endorsement like i don't know and try to like find a stellar endorsement like everybody has got well what about well what about what they're doing right it's hard to um no one's squeaky clean in uh in in any of this but you don't need to be that's the john daly point that if you start off not being squeaky squeaky clean that's your brand Right. And as long as you're coherent with that. And, and to your point, I mean, Jan, can you think of any rebels, any people who, you know, we as as Chris was sort of inferring, we might think of as unsponsorable who have been successful in this world of sponsorship, in this world of brand endorsement, brand sponsorship, brand association? You know, who, who are the renegades who have survived or have built a business in that regard other than Joe Rogan? And I don't think Joe Rogan is aligned with anyone other than Spotify right now. Hmm. To be honest, I really, really can't think of anyone. I mean, there uh, is the uh, one or the other, uh, you know, athlete in a niche sport such as ultra running who has a yeah. sponsorship of an italian running brand that you've never heard of but uh i cannot think of someone who is unsponsorable and then got a really really bold partner by their side who said no you know we stand by them and we take the stance here yeah because that strikes, because that, that illustrates your earlier hypocrisy or double mm -hmm. standard, right? That on the one hand, you know, we, we treat these relationships as political. We treat these relationships as, you know, desiring authenticity. Mm -hmm. But it's no surprise. It's all a show, right? It's all, I mean, it's all a construct. I mean, we briefly spoke about uh, Tiger, Tiger Woods earlier. And uh, you made that really strong point, um, uh, Jesse, that he blew it and that he could have been the first trillionaire, but now isn't. I was really tempted to say that I disagree, that he might not have blown it, but that in my opinion, this whole thing has humanized him. Uh, just think of the fact that he is basically the same generation as Derek Jeter, right? Both are Nike sponsored athletes. There's nothing more boring to listen to than a Derek Jeter interview because he went through all these Nike trainings. So did, so did Tiger Woods. Yeah. And what we got from both of them were robotic deliveries and the right answers to simply every single question. Yeah. And I would argue that this might have saved Tiger Woods, the coming clean. And did, didn't, he, didn't he then win a major for the first time in two decades just recently after all this even happened yes he won the masters Jan. that was um, yeah sorry sorry but i think it, it creates i'm, it crea I'm your guy for football and it soccer. creates a this new story it creates a, it creates a new a new narrative and i think this is part of the nike nike hanging on to and i think i think part of their explanation was we are standing by our guy and that yeah. and i think forgiveness is a great is a great trait but he now has 
a whole new brand um, that he maybe lost control of, but I think he's regained control of it. I'm just going to throw two names out of um, sort of like disgraced people. Ben Johnson showed up in an ad for some power drink. Yes. And, and so that's not, he's not building an empire around that. No, no. Um, the other one that I think was, uh, is I haven't heard of from a while, but I'm sure he's doing just fine. Thank you very much. Is Lance Armstrong. Yes. And yes. you're out and you're, it just, it, it so becomes I'm glad, different. I'm, I'm glad you brought up Lance Armstrong and, and only because I think he owned his brand, right? Like I think his brand was something that he had before, you know, his steroid scandal. And I think it allowed that brand to stay true to who he was, because I think just like Ben Johnson, a lot of people felt like, you know, it was good that Lance Armstrong cheated the same way. I think it was good that Ben Johnson cheated because everyone in that hundred meter race with Ben Johnson was doping and Ben Johnson was the one who got caught. But to your point, I think if there was so I asked the reason I asked, you know, about the rebels, the punks is I'm trying to hypothesize whether if we had a real open and transparent market, whether we would have a different character of sponsorship that wasn't so sterile. And, and I'll give two examples. Mm -hmm. The first is that service Cameo, right? So Cameo is this kind of social media service that allows you to pay a celebrity 500 bucks to do like a birthday greeting for your friend, right? And... I would love to see their metrics because I bet you that, you know, like, so Pete Rose, for example, Pete Rose, the, the, the baseball great, you know, I've always been a Pete Rose fan and I think it's ludicrous that Pete Rose was banned from baseball. And I bet if there was an open market in which people could pay Pete Rose a la cameo, that he would be quite popular and that there are other people who are like that. So what if, and, and here I'm hypothesizing, what if the current sponsorship market is centralized, right? There's, there's agencies, there's brands, right? There's ways in which it's limited. But now, thanks to social media, the sponsorship market's being decentralized, that even small businesses can start sponsoring small local influencers. And anyone who has a decent following can themselves earn sponsorship. So perhaps what we're seeing is a seismic shift in terms of how sponsorship works that is going to allow for different voices, different identities to get paid as part of their reputation, as part of the trust that they've engendered with their followers that would lead to a more diverse, a more colorful, a more human, a more flawed version of spokesperson than the one, you know, uh, historically we've seen as part of the larger media ecosystem. As you, as you spoke, two examples came uh, to my mind, Jesse. One is uh, a former British prisoner uh, who now lives in France. His name is Johnny McAfoy, I think. While in prison, he basically broke all world records on a, a stationary rowing machine. And he is now uh, you know, out of prison and is a Nike-sponsored triathlete. He is not winning any races. And uh, you know, in terms of age, you could also say that he is by now in the early fall of his career. But it's basically his being a misfit, his life turnaround Phoenix from the flame story that Nike and other sponsors have bought into. Uh, and the other example uh, that came to mind um, 
is a really interesting one. Novo Nordisk, the uh, European pharmaceutical manufacturer, is uh, sponsoring a cycling team, which is the first and only professional cycling team that consists exclusively out of diabetic patients. Hmm. So in terms of someone who is unsponsorable, right, he is a pharmaceutical company that takes intentionally people who are supposedly not able to even practice the sport and supports them practicing that sport professionally at the elite. That's fantastic. Right on. Yeah. And Chris, you should keep yourself unmuted only because it makes it easier for you to jump in. Go ahead. And then it's fine. Yes, I... Um, I think Jesse, when you're talking about, I think that the the sponsoring, the sponsorship sort of area, and I and I like your point about it sort of becoming more transparent. It just al- it allows people to, like, it contributes to their lively to their livelihood or to their just general wealth. And I think when you were talking about sort of these, whether it's a Pete Rose or a or a Barry Bonds or these sort of famous but sort of disgraced people, I suspect that there's a speaker circuit for those people and someone's going to pay them like, and we, we won't know about it, but some like, oh, is it a rotary club or somebody is going to have Pete Rose come and it's, he's going to, he's going to give us like Pete Rose unplugged. And would he, I think that those, those speaking circuits, I think they can be tens or hundreds of thousand dollars to get someone yeah. to spend the evening with you. And Hey, yeah. you tee up a half dozen of those and, Maybe you're doing okay, right? Like you don't have the Nike sponsorship, but you're still able to sort of do what you do and exist in your, like in your infamy rather yeah, than your yeah. fame. Well, and and the two things we haven't touched upon yet that I want to sort of dig into is self sponsorship, which effectively is Patreon, right? Where it's not that it's your money sponsoring yourself, but you are the one mobilizing the sponsorship campaign for yourself. And you're crowdsourcing that sponsorship, which, of course, for many people is very effective, even if it's just a few hundred bucks a month. Right. Like it doesn't have to be, you know, a a hugely substantive. But then the other side is automated sponsorship. And and this is the other social media model. And this was, you know, the latest example of this, of course, is Twitter and the way in which that Twitter is kind of leaning hard right kind of by design. And the remaining sponsors who are part of that site are finding themselves uh, disappointingly or shocked that they're sponsoring like fascist content and extreme right content, which is the obvious danger of automated sponsorship. But at the same time, I think it's worth acknowledging the appeal of automated sponsorship for both sides and why that continues to be a, a phenomena unto itself in terms of the Internet with with all the perils and dangers that come with it. We're thinking moving the, the personal brand out of the sports realm and into the business realm. Elon Musk has a personal brand that's very much like here, here's what I am. Here's what I here's what I do. And it's it's interesting that and that people are still attaching themselves to that like i it, nobody noticed but i left twitter um nobody noticed but staying there has consequences and are those consequences uh, oh hey f- great finally a company that's not being hypocritical and they're just happy to go where the eyeballs are unapologetically okay cool or is it what my sh- my my 
banner ad or whatever is showing up beside this horrendous content, our our corporate brand can't handle that. And I think there's just very, very different ways to to understand that. And I think back to sort of a, the beating drum reality of many businesses just need to get in front of eyeballs and maybe are happy to take a reputational hit in order to get in front of those eyeballs, right? Well, like, I don't know, and, I don't know. And and to your point, I'm sure Twitter ads are pretty cheap right now, right? <laughs> Except like, for I'm, the sports I'm, betting I'm, people, they're paying at a premium. <laughs> but, but, you know, according to supply and demand, Twitter ads would, would be a huge bargain, yeah, especially for a small absolutely. business. Absolutely. Although yeah. to your other point, I'm sure that Twitter did notice when you left Twitter. <laughs> uh, only in the aggregate, but nonetheless. Hey, can I can I can I offer another hypothesis here, or uh, even a provocation? You know, my hypothesis would be that this discussion about uh, you know ads around ultra right content, yes or not, you know, is it damaging or not? I would argue that that is a discussion that is exclusively being had between media people, uh, people who are in charge of content at X and the people who shell out the uh, advertising dollars. But I would argue that no consumer ever said, oh, you know, I saw a Pepsi ad next to uh, the tweet that read X, Y, and Z, Pepsi, how can you, right? Yeah. So um, I, I think it is an important discussion uh, and probably more important about why is, um, uh, or why are the controls that are supposed to be in place not working, uh, incident, uh, coincidence or, or, or plan? But I, I'm not sure how relevant that is for uh, so, the public. So let me let, let me both agree and disagree, and then yeah. Chris, you you, yeah. you follow up. Um, I do agree with you that I think that this is kind of specialist only, kind of inside baseball. But at the same time, I think more and more people are becoming politicized often by conspiracy around the products they buy and who they buy it from. I don't think they realize how centralized most industries are and how like a single company will own two dozen brands. But I do, uh, uh, to, to where I agree with you here, and I'm not changing subjects, Chris, so by all means, uh, respond to what Jan said. But I think to what you said, the similar similarity here is Saudi Arabia. Because I think a lot of people get up in arms about Saudi Arabia sponsoring sports events and throwing their money around. And the phrase that's often used in the media is sports washing, right? That they're using sports to, you know, uh, uh, upgrade their reputation. And I don't think that's the case at all. I think Saudi Arabia doesn't care what the rest of the world thinks. I, I think MBS in particular wants everyone to know that he ordered the killing of Jamal Khashoggi you know, because he is that kind of a goon. And I think that they see this largely as like tourism, right? And marketing as to why people should come and watch sports and watch wrestling and watch all these events in Saudi Arabia. So I agree with you that there's a kind of a literati of people in the media and advertising who talk about this stuff. And most people don't care. But at the flip side, I think people are becoming politicized, often for the wrong mm. reasons. And that that is also starting to influence how they perceive brands and sponsorship and, and what else. Sorry, Chris, go ahead. No, no, it's um, 
think what Eminem says, there's no such thing as bad PR, right? Like that's the, um, I think there's an individual. So, so I was going to say, I don't think you're giving the average consumer credit. Um, I think that people do, I think people are thoughtful about the choices they make and they have lots of choices. And in order to do that, I think there is an emotional attachment and maybe you do care and there's uh, right? Like, so where are the ads showing up? And maybe it's enough to steer you from Coke to Pepsi or, or, or whatever. And I think to Jesse's point, I think there's also an increasing <clears throat> sort of team dynamic to this where you're not, you're not ordering a light beer, you're making a statement, right? And this is the, and I think that that, those are, like real, real consequences to business beyond the inside baseball of, of where you go. I, I absolutely, I, I hope those conversations are, are happening. I'd be very curious as people run the numbers, right? Because you're, you're having to quantify, hey, if we do this, we're associating ourselves with this kind of content, right? We don't know clearly what the consequences of that are, right? But if we don't do this, here's the reach of our product that like we're, we're not getting this exposure that we're used to getting and then someone's gonna have to say keep doing it or you know what we won't so i think it's a fascinating context for a important decision under loads of ambiguity but i will come back and say i'm not sure you're giving your the average consumer enough credit my my question here would be um right <clears throat> would advertisers need uh, more information about the advertising content or don't have advertisers seen sufficient evidence by now that obviously uh, Twitter X is uh, a right, uh, very right uh, wing market square, whatever you want to call it. I mean, if I know if I know that uh, a certain city is a certain way, then then I'm not going there. Mm -hmm. and, and do they miss you? Because there are other people going to go there because it's that way. <laughs> Yeah, right, so, exactly. Right. So we're, I, I, I am conscious of time, and I want to start wrapping this up. And I say this because I'm now about to open the hornet's nest, which uh -huh. is Israel, okay. right? Because, you know, I, on the one hand, uh, I, I brought up South Africa and apartheid and the effectiveness of the BDS movement, the boycott, divest, uh, 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 sanctions movement that targeted South Africa quite successfully and helped topple the apartheid regime. And activists, anti-Zionist activists, free Palestinian activists have been engaged in a similar uh, BDS movement against Israel for years. And many people here in Canada uh, and around the world have charged that this boycott campaign is anti-Semitic. Um, which I don't think it is. I think that's an absolutely ludicrous charge. I think, you know, boycotts are perfectly legitimate means of democratic protest and, and democratic dissent. And there's nothing wrong with people saying, don't buy these products because, you know, it supports these politics or supports these ideologies. But I, I think, you know, moving forward, we're going to see uh, a, an expansion of that type of boycott activity, especially because of how political the, the conflict in Gaza and Israel is. But I bring this up because I am the kind of person who thought, well, Israel, I'm not going to Israel. No way. Like, that's just, that's not the kind of place that I want to hang out. It's not the vibe for me. So I, again, I, I wanted to throw that in there because I think moving forward, sponsorship around Israel, around Palestine, is going to be something that really intersects politics and business in, in a very complicated way. 
going to just, I think that on the, the potentially with the brand and even the sloganeering area, what was the, like, I'm thinking of the, the slogan and the hashtag that came around me too, like yeah. that. And then there was, that was the Je suis, who was, the, what was the magazine that was, uh, that was uh, it wasn't uh, just Henri, but it was Je suis, uh, yeah. whatever that is. But yeah. I was very surprised. Um, I guess I shouldn't have been surprised. I noted that on, on LinkedIn, I stand with Israel was, it was a slogan yeah. that was popping up and you can guess the comments that followed that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. And it's just, there's such, there's such nuance to that that it can't be bumper stickered. Mm -hmm. And I think the attempt to make a, a clear, to be mentioned earlier, it's a clear, compelling story. How can you say this in a hashtag? What's your elevator pitch? It just doesn't work. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think it works at your peril because you wade into the hornless nest of, oh, well, if you stand with Israel, that must mean this, 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 and this. And then just ensues the shitstorm of hot take conversations that, to Jan's point, drives the eyeballs that see the ads that buy the products. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so, as, you, as you were talking, Chris, I thought, yeah, you know, I stand with Israel, brought to you by Pepsi, right? That yeah. is really, really cringeworthy. You can't do that. But then on the other hand, what was the initiative a couple of years ago that Bono was involved uh, in this red campaign? Um, what was it? He's been involved you know? in a lot. Not AIDS. He, yeah, I no, 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 no. It was this this red movement or campaign. You know, Funny how we can't remember it at all. T-shirts, T-shirts <laughs> that, that that's red inspire red, and then in brackets red, and yeah. the proceeds of that thing went. I remember it, but I can't. I have no yeah, idea what, what it stood card? for. I it I was, don't know I either. <laughs> I think it was AIDS related. I, I don't know either, but what I know is it was big and it was a conglomerate of sponsors or companies that stood behind that, right? And I think as soon as it is uh, a community of sponsors and not something that is as cringeworthy as brought to you by Pepsi, right? Then the whole thing becomes more tolerable and you could basically accept, okay, Goldman Sachs have shelled out a couple of millions here in order to help promote a cause and not necessarily tie their name uh, in an exploiting way to something. Yeah, well, and climate change, I think, has has provided that similar kind of platform building, where yeah. it allows you know uh, British Petroleum to call to to re to call themselves Beyond Petroleum, right? Or, you know, a, a, allows some of the greatest polluters to say that they're doing something as well. Which I'm not disparaging. I mean, if we create an opportunity for the biggest polluters to actually help address the problems they've created, that is a positive. But Chris, to your point, you would think that the words free Palestine are pretty straightforward, right? Like you would think that we have come to a point in the 21st century where we recognize that colonization is bad, that imperialism isn't really the right thing, and that allowing people to have self-determination is like a basic human right. But I can't say free Palestine publicly even though I would very much, I do support that position because it is so easily uh, appropriated into a much more twisted and convoluted dialogue. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. 
If I may say one more thing here, uh, Jesse, and then I'll uh, throw this back to you here uh, because I'll refer to something that you shared with me yesterday. I think in order to, I, I, I like the idea of uh, you know moving sponsorship away from uh, musicians or actors or athletes uh, onto something that is a little more meaningful, right? But the question is, how do you achieve that as long as people still flock to Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift. I wonder when I will stop uh, referring to the two of them as an example in everything that I say, basically. Well, when, um, when their time in the sun fades, and it hasn't yet. But no, it has continue. not yet. But so, you know, you, you would need the cause to be sexy or interesting, right? Um, for people to pay attention. And you know what came to mind, Jesse? That, that TikTok video that you sent to me yesterday with that actress who you know did the presentation she's in good omens she she's amazing in good omens yeah that was so much fun to watch i was i almost i almost dove into my phone right yes. and this is when this becomes interesting and if a film like that would end with brought to you by patagonia i would say bravo Yes, yes. And and so, uh, Chris, this was a, a, a beautiful British satire of sort of of the oil industry speaking truth. Right. But but it was it was so well done that it just, you know, as Jan pointed out, it draws you in like like great drama does. And if that was sponsored content, I agree. I, I think it would have been fantastic. But to your point, or I think what you were the point you were making is there's rarely that kind of courage. There is rarely that kind of chutzpah. Uh, in the world of sponsorship in terms of dealing. And, and we need that. We should have that. I think the brands who are able to do that are going to win, hands down. But here, uh, uh, allow me to your Travis and, and Taylor line. Allow me to throw out a, 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 a crazy a socialist idea, which I will uh, 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 introduce the original and then I'll introduce the adaptation. Aren't those the same thing? Crazy and socialist? Not necessarily, but they can. I'm joking. Be. I'm joking. <laughs> Maximum income. Like, what if we said you can make a hundred million dollars, but everything past that is subject to a hundred percent tax rate, and that's it. You can't make any more. So, what if we said maximum sponsorship income? Right. Any single individual can only make fifty million dollars, ten million dollars. Yep. Right. Which all of a sudden means the Travis's and the Taylor's would max out pretty quick and there would be room for a whole bunch of other people. Or you give them the responsibility to find a worthy recipient. <clears throat> so they have to find and support the next person. Like, I don't know. Yeah, yeah but that would be a cult. I, I, who knows? I cult, agree. crazy He's, socialist, potato, potato. Yeah, I, I had to throw the cult word in just so that we could have um, consecutive podcast episodes. Where, no, where but, but, but I think, look, I think this is a really, really good uh, suggestion, Jesse, because I think this could also help um, rebalance uh, or reshift the weight in sports a little bit, right? Yeah. Uh, if you think of uh, both soccer and golf right who were the first ones to jump ship and you know go over there and play the ones that had the most money and, and needed money the least yeah. right so uh you know if there was this cap then um you know needy second tier or third tier players might be able to benefit and um 
yeah, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo would still be playing in Europe. Go ahead, Chris. No, I was just going to, I think we've explored, I think Jesse, you were talking about sort of the, the chutzpah and the sort of like the inspiring and like authentic, like here's what we stand for, which I think is is a nice positive thing. I wanted to, and I know you're sensitive to time, but just ending on a, like how bad do you have to be before you're no longer, where you can no longer play in this game? I don't know that we'll see any sponsorship by uh, the Purdue pharmaceutical company. I don't know. I don't know. I do know, and this is just through, uh, this is a, a guy that, uh, that I play golf with, was that he was in the States for um, a friend of his was getting married, kind of like a club. And they they had the reception in the Sackler room. And you sort of like, at, at what point does a legacy that had some good to it, right? Like every, like the world is not black and white, but at what point does it become like so toxic that no one will take the money? Yeah. And I think, I think, I don't know that I've seen an example that's so toxic that no one will take the money. Well, and, and just to be clear, I will always take the money. To <laughs> a, anyone listening right now who would like to sponsor the Echo Punks, we need a sponsor for We this. will launder anyone's money because I fundamentally believe that in dealing with us, they will start to do good. That that is how transformative the Echo Punks are, and and that's I why I, I talk about courage in sponsorship, and it. and it brings us back to where we started about sponsor and sponsee and who sort of has responsibility, and it's fluid. The one thing we haven't talked about, which we're not going to talk about, because I think I think we should start to come to an end, is sponsorship of academics. Right. And the way in which universities uh, aren't just sponsored for sports, they're often sponsored for policy. Right. This is what Google does. This is what Amazon does. Facebook does this. They basically pay universities to help churn out research that says they are great the way that cigarette companies used to churn out research that says that cigarettes are healthy. And that is obviously a huge ethical quandrum and policy. But I don't want to have that conversation today because I want fellow Ecopunk uh, Vasiliki Bednar uh, to participate because she is a very, very uh, animate about that subject and has a bunch of different ideas around policies. But any uh, final words, closing thoughts around the issue of sponsorship and uh, where you think it's headed? So why don't we do that? Why don't we do one last go around? We'll start with you, Jan. What do you think the future of sponsorship is, both based on our conversation today and based on whatever crazy ideas spontaneously come into your head? I think the future of sponsorship is philanthropy. Um due to uh, the, for the lack of a better term, bigger shine, brighter halo that it has. And also uh, due to what I would perceive as stronger scrutiny that you, that you can apply to a philanthropic uh, engagement uh, versus, right, if you sponsor a basketball team, who knows what they do tomorrow night in Vegas. Right on. Huge. All right, there we go. Chris, what do you think the was... future of sponsorship is? Yeah, so I think I think this is going on, and I, uh, Jan, I love your word, the scrutiny. <clears throat> I think there's a, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I hope, uh, a more critical look at the connections we're making, and whether they're fits and whether they're okay. And I think I like the world. I, what they say, sunlight's the best disinfectant. Like if these, 
if these relationships are above board that everybody can talk about, um, it brings it brings a level of of, of scrutiny um, that I think is uh, is useful uh, and serves and serves many purposes, even if those purposes are divergent. I don't know if that made right sense. Right on. Well, I, I, I think I'll do uh, uh, for mine that the future of sponsorship is uh, a communal, collectivized, because I think you said something interesting, Jan, about how when big brands get together, there's, you know, a lot of power, a lot of momentum to that. And, and I would imagine that happening among small businesses, right? Like imagine, and this has actually happened here in Canada, where like the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, the CFL football team is owned by the community, right? And there's ways I, I, uh, ways I think that the internet can allow for that kind of aggregation, can allow for smaller players to pool their funds and be able to sponsor something they love. Uh, whether that's a team, whether that's an event, whether that's, you know, a concert or a festival. And, and I think there's definitely a, a, a lot of potential there. So um, with that said, I, oh, sorry, you wanted to jump in there, Jan, go ahead. Yes, I didn't want to, but you just said athlete or sponsory or sponsee do whatever they want. That might be the topic for another podcast. But what I find super interesting are athletes in whatever sport they are in right basically looking at their sport and then saying okay let me develop my own shoe brand or yeah, let yeah. me develop you know product x so yeah you know if, if the athlete basically take their equity and say okay i'm going to bring that into the sport that's what i find interesting too right on right on yeah. I, I, I think this has been a, a fantastic discussion. Uh, our, our audience here clearly agrees. <laughs> I think to your point, Jan, imagine if each professional team provided an incubator to allow their athletes to develop their own businesses. That, that, that would be crazy. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, that's it. We'll uh, see you guys again soon. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Echopunks.live on the web. And... Uh, Google Echopunks to find us elsewhere. All right. Thanks Thank again. Thank you. Have a wonderful one. Awesome. Take care. Bye-bye.